What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod Part 2. This is Patchy and joined by my co-host Dave Martison. Dave, jumping in for the second time this week because there's just too much content to catch up on. Married to the game, baby. Gotta do it. So if you uh, haven't had a chance to check out our music podcast from this week, we, we covered a lot of big albums. Drake, Kanye, Lil Sims, Lord. I mean... Uh, a lot of good stuff there. Check those individual breakouts out or just the entire show episode. Leave a comment. Uh, and you can also listen to that here, not watching on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod on, on soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod. Dave, there's so much stuff to catch up on. We had to break it up into two. We did music. Today we're doing TV and movies. Not as much to catch up, up on, but I think some big things that we wanted to touch base on, check in on. We're going to start today checking in on, I think, one of our favorite comedies, What We Do in the Shadows, back for season three, dropping two episodes on uh, premiering on FX, I believe it was last Thursday, and then FX on Hulu on Friday. That's how I consumed it. What did you think of the uh, season three premiere? I quite enjoyed it. You know, just more What We Do in the Shadows, nothing out of the realm of expectations for the show but that's quite all right because this show is hilarious <laughs> definitely the funniest show on tv they just cram so many jokes and laugh out loud moments into every minute i don't even know what's like in the conversation for it because i think the other hotly hyped comedy these days ted lasso is not on the level of jokes of what we do in the shadows that's for sure yeah you know, you think about like I, the the other show I was thinking might be in the conversation for best comedy is something like I think you should leave, which check out that breakout sure. review if you're watching this. Um, I think you should leave is tough because it's a sketch show. So there's no continuity from, you know, uh, every, you know, the previous five minutes to the next five minutes, it's just something different. You set up new new thing. What we do in the shadows, if you go back and check our first season review, I was I thought it was pretty good, but I wasn't totally blown away with it. But the way that the show has been able to build off itself and like you said, it ties in so many different jokes and so many things that have uh, paid off from earlier seasons at this point. Um, it's really operating at the level of you know, a lot of our favorite sitcoms from the past, things like Parks and Rec, The Office, uh, shows like that. It really feels like it's uh, on on the path to potentially be on par with those sorts of things. But I wonder how many people are actually watching this. You know, I don't see a lot of discourse about it, which is a little disappointing. Um, so do you talk to people it's, about it it's, a lot? It's viewership did go up a hundred percent season two to season one. So that's a positive sign. We'll see how season three does. Uh, but yeah, it definitely feels like it's more like, like the in the know person's comedy, mm -hmm. but yeah. I mean, Good Place is gone. Veep is gone. Silicon Valley is gone. Ted Lasso is more about the vibes than the actual jokes. If you're into comedy, you, you got to be watching this. It's just, mm -hmm. it, it is what it is, you know. Um, I mean, just, it's the same kind of stuff, but like the well, the well is still quite full of finding humor in vampires not understanding the modern day world and modern culture and stuff like that. It's just the gift that keeps on giving. It's a lot of really simple observations and premises, but it's just so effective. 
Yeah, it, it does work really well. Um, it, you know, I'm just trying to think about like what what's another even comedy that's really popped off this year? Something like Hacks, you know, just isn't on sure. the same yeah. level of of jokes, you know, and that, that's more that's of a, a comedy one. drama than anything. Right. So it's it really feels like a singular show um, for, you know, the, this time, particularly, you know, talking about the way that the uh, the premise pays off. I feel like in the second episode of the season that paid off really well with um, Nandor uh, having everybody use the uh, duplicating cloak to go cloak try to get duplication. a date. Yeah. To try to go get a date with the uh, girl at the front desk of the gym he goes to sometimes, which also him talking about how they used to work out in the, the middle ages and, you know, test their strength. And then seeing him at the gym now, was just a really, uh, that was a great bit, but um, I, I loved that running bit of each person taking a shot at getting a date with that girl. Yeah. I don't think she's into, into guys. <laughs> and she, yeah, she wasn't into guys. So, um, you know, they kind of hinted at this, I think. And I saw this remarked upon in some press that it's going to continue the origins of Colin Robinson in terms of the origins of like energy yeah. vampires and how they're different. I mean, anything revolving Colin Robinson is, is good with me because Old. it's just fucking the funniest shit ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. The fact I, that they're like I, in a leadership position in the council. Uh, yep. Great. I'm sure that's going to go well. Uh, I love the conflict <laughs> they had with some younger uh, vampires, you know, uh, Bernie bro esque, uh, you know, Anti, yeah. more anti-establishment folks that was really great comedy as well yeah i loved uh i loved when uh, colin robinson comes in and the other energy vampires like oh my god colin robinson like he's <laughs> just totally like I, I i've looked up to you for years you're a legend i i loved that just because you never really see him in that Wait, are you draining me right now no i wouldn't do that <laughs> <laughs> so good um yeah i mean if you had to pick a favorite moment from the first two episodes, anything that stands out? Mm, good question. Uh, I guess it's everything with the cloak, you know? So, yeah. Especially once Laszlo fails. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, this is, and actually, I, I didn't know about this, but the way they make the show actually is that they do tons and tons of bits. A lot of it's scripted, and they'll eventually do more takes that are less scripted than the you know original idea. And then they just really, like, whittle it down. So there's so much left on the cutting room floor with the show. And it's actually very intentional, very thoughtful in terms of what makes the episode. And that's, that's, that's cool to hear. And you can tell that like, it's very, very, very considered because they, they never, they can't jump the shark. You can't get too dumb. Yeah. And I think that's always on their mind. That's what they've said anyway. The, yeah. Uh, showrunner and Jermaine Clement and whatnot. Uh. I loved uh, all the stuff with Guillermo in the first episode, how he's, you know, in the prison, but can get out anytime he wants. And Giving just, him raw chicken. Yeah. <laughs> just not <laughs> just, knowing how humans eat. <laughs> hilarious. Uh, that, I loved that. Love seeing Taika show up in that video from the, uh, the head vampire council. Uh, I thought right. that was like a nice little nod to the origins of the show. Right. Especially because um, he's, he's less involved with like the producing of the show. Um, yep than Clement is so that's cool to see but I, I think definitely my my favorite line from the first one and I texted it to you immediately was uh Laszlo and when, when they're picked to be like the head of this you know the Staten Island or, or tri-state area vampire council saying I didn't become a vampire to be a bureaucrat I became a vampire to suck blood and fuck for the rest of my life <laughs> 
for, for the rest of eternity. Just an yeah. amazing line. And Matthew Barry has, or Matt Barry is just like so good at delivering the lines as Laszlo. And then him going to the whole porn thing at that, like, very council place. Just amazing, <laughs> amazing stuff from him. So, uh, Jackie Daytona remains one of my favorite episodes yeah. of TV from last year. So, I wonder if they bring back Jackie Daytona one day. Uh, season four is going into production this fall, it's already been renewed. Um, so maybe down the line, Jackie Tate is going to come back in some some fashion. I wouldn't be surprised. God, I hope so. So good stuff. If you uh, if you enjoy comedies, um, and who doesn't, I think you have to be tuning into this show. Uh, but Dave, why don't we switch gears a little bit and move on to a Netflix show that it, it wasn't really something on my radar necessarily. I actually had a colleague, though, bring it up to me shortly before it premiered. I work in higher education as a mental health counselor for those who don't who don't know and they were like oh man there's a show on netflix it's a comedy with sandra oh talking about higher education we gotta watch it uh and the chair premiered mm, two weeks ago now and uh yeah it was the end of august uh, august 20th it's, it's a few weeks ago yeah now. it's been so even going on three weeks now and uh i thought the chair was pretty good you know only six episodes short uh, mini series. I felt like the chair had a lot of pots on the stove and a lot of stuff it was trying to touch on and never really got there with a lot of it. But I think it, I, I give it a lot of credit for trying, I guess, is where I was, I was mm-hmm. with it. But it left me, I think, a little dissatisfied because it did feel like a lot of things were like half baked or not fully formed in terms of story arc. Yeah. About you? Yeah. It's one of those things where like six episodes, three hours it just needed more time to pay off everything it was trying to pay off. Some things mm-hmm. still did pay off some things less. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's fine, but I also didn't have really any expectations about it. That is kind of like new, like a month or so beforehand. Oh, there's a Sandro Netflix show coming out, a show Sandro made because she found something she could fit into her schedule between killing Eve seasons. That's basically mm-hmm. why this even exists created hmm. by amanda p it's like huh all right sure sandra oh you know tv legend why not and it's it's pleasant enough but i guess i didn't have any expectations for it like i don't mind and also because it was so short um it, it's okay that it's like only so so you know if it was like way longer and also uh underwhelming I'd, I'd be way way less way less pleased so, so. yeah you know I, I it's the sort of thing where um, like you said, it's kind of like found money where it's like, ah, can I really be that mad that I only, I found, you know, five bucks instead of 20 type of thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I think where it really sets up, you know, um, in terms of themes, you have, uh, Jay Duplass's character as this, um, professor dealing with the loss of his wife, uh, you know, daughter going off to college, being alone, dealing with seems like some alcohol, substance abuse issues, um, you know, you have Sandra O oh taking over as the first female chair of this department and a lot of, uh, a lot of the story arcs, at least uh, as the season goes on are about what it means to be a female professor in this field that's been dominated by males for so long, um, pushing back against the establishment, trying to bring in more people of color, diversity in the workplace. And, you know, we're, we're not even touching on some of the, like, Duchovny type of stuff you know that that comes about later in the season in terms of like how schools 
try to balance this idea of needing to intrigue students and what actually intrigues them it's and keeps them coming back and be, being paying customers and we're you know then there's all the stuff that goes on with um was a holland taylor who yes. you know as a uh, aging female professor uh, has like title nine uh concerns has some uh workplace uh, environment concerns it's it you know i feel like a lot of those things get touched on brought up um but never fully like totally executed which uh, i i really applaud it because a lot of these issues are things that you don't see represented nearly as well as they are in the show but i just wish there was a little more i think like resolution or point to them but definitely a very ambitious show in terms of theme which is pretty cool yeah yeah i think the stuff with holland taylor the stuff with bob balaban as well mm-hmm. older colleagues struggling to or older academics struggling to find their place in a evolving higher education landscape more meat in the bone for sure but because it's holland taylor and bob balaban it's still like largely pretty good i would have liked a lot more time with the stuff regarding you know i think the most important themes the stuff like you said about representation and mm-hmm. tokenism in higher yeah. ed you know uh and also because like i don't know like j duplass's bill like i didn't find him like the most sympathetic guy he's just kind of like a drag for most of the season because he's just beating himself up constantly and fucking up yeah and it's and it's like you know sandro's character uh jiyun it's like you kind of feel bad for her being dragged down a little bit, you know? So I think just like the acting is still strong enough that like, even if like thematically not everything comes together, it's still a pleasant enough watch. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I think it's definitely a, a pleasant and easy, easy watch. It goes by pretty quick. Um, you know, Benny and Weiss, this is their first like executive producing, I think for Netflix. Is that right? Yeah, so I for, that's right because they have the deal. I immediately just jumped to this. Um, one of them's married to Amanda Peet. That's probably why this happened. Oh, there right. we go. Uh, it has to be uh, Benioff married right? to Amanda Peet. Yeah. So either way, cool. Do you think? But um, yeah, we like, like to Benioff. see Penny and Weiss. So get, let's get let's get to it, guys. Come on, let's let's yeah working. I know, but we, we, we really want to see them produce some like really fantastical type stuff, right? Or like some really grand stuff. So uh, let's, let's let's hope we get something a little bit bigger from them in the near future. But if you have time and want to check out the, the chair, you know, I think it's an, like we said, easy watch, ambitious. Um, and I don't think you'll leave too disappointed. I didn't find it super funny, but uh, no. I think Sandra O. Oh, has like a very specific type of like comedic performance that's a little dry and mm-hmm. um physical yeah. at times exactly yeah good way to put it um why don't we move on though to something that was <laughs> unexpected for me to say the least and uh you know <laughs> as i as someone that just watched this very recently i'm still sitting with what to make of Annette. um wow i mean it, <laughs> I go back and forth between feeling like this is like a work of genius and being like, what the fuck did I just watch type of thing? It's a little you know, bit it's of this, both, I think. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like this like rock opera uh, musical type movie sorry Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard and um, it tells the story of you know Henry who's this uh, comedian I guess who's not I don't find it very funny also kind of like Sandro I guess and uh, <laughs> the audience thought Ma- he was funny apparently yeah and uh, Marion Co- Cotillard is um, is she her name's Anne in the movie right yeah she's like a opera yeah. singer some kind of singer. yeah and they have this, you know, they're both very famous in France or Italy or wherever they are, have this relation. I think it's France. And they have this relationship, have a daughter, and then things start to go awry. Uh, I guess I won't spoil the movie too much for those who want to watch it on Netflix, but it's it's definitely a weird watch, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that, Dave? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, this played a con, had a limited release, hit Amazon Prime video on August 20th in the u.s latest film from leo carrix who's a renowned french director first movie since 2012 and also his first english language feature film and i haven't seen any of the other films but this is definitely uh definitely strange right because it's largely sung through like you said it's a musical there's a the band Sparks, the Sparks Brothers, of which Edgar Wright just released a documentary about. Sparks does all the music uh, throughout this, as well as I think did some story concepts. And it's actually not like a super complicated story, but I guess like you have to like really like follow it through song a lot of times to uh, you know keep up with it. And then perhaps the most striking thing about it is that when the titular Annette comes into the story, the child of Triver and Cotillard's. Uh, you know, marriage. It's played by, and that's played by a wooden marionette puppet, which is kind of like impossible to look away from. You know, obviously very specific, yeah, off-putting for sure, and 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 also weird. You know, <laughs> and there's a lot of like absurdist like dream sequences or or uh, like flashes of imagery and stuff throughout this story, and. It's just very, very unique. And that's why I think it's definitely worth recommending at least to check it out. I feel like it's something that like, for me, I was actually quite grabbed in the beginning and perhaps I, I was a little less into it towards the end, but I, I really like the beginning with that. Uh, so may we start spark song where mm. they, they're all singing together and like walking around and stuff. And then like, you get like driver's first uh, comedy set and he's performing and everyone still likes him. Like mm-hmm. a lot of that was like really engaging just because like I don't really know what's coming. Um but yeah, like there there's a lot going on for a story that's actually on its surface kind of straightforward. Yeah. You know, I, there's certainly like a lot of metaphor throughout. I mean, I think even the idea of Annette as a uh you know, marionette doll is a pretty like on the nose metaphor, especially in the premise of the story and the way that driver as her father uses Annette and you know uses her talents um it's it's interesting because I think actually what makes the movie great is exactly what I said in the beginning how you go back and forth between being like wow this is really unique and really interesting and, and singular it feels like but also being like what the fuck am I watching um but not wanting to look away a lot of the time um it definitely, I think, isn't for everybody. I think that there's a lot of like, like we're going to talk about 
uh, Shang-Chi in a second. And I think a lot of the people who probably went to go see Shang-Chi uh, who are like big Marvel heads aren't necessarily also going to be fans of it, a movie like Annette. Um, but <laughs> you think, <laughs> yeah, but I, I do think what, uh, you know, what kind of is great about this movie is it kind of brings driver into this role that's super familiar from his character on girls. Uh, Cause this is basically the same guy he played on girls. I'm forgetting the name of his character. on that. Adam? I think it might've actually been Adam. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, my, my guts telling me that's the right one, but um, you know, Adam is this like weird guy who's super like dark, but also like charming and witty and people like, but then has this really like, uh quick to anger attitude that kind of drives a lot of the conflict between him and the oh boy i'm trying to think of hannah on the show yeah, leaned on mm-hmm. Jeez, uh, i haven't thought about girls in a long time but those those early seasons of girls were great um but i feel like drive this is very like up driver's alley i don't know about the singing obviously but i think this mm-hmm. type of like male character is someone he can yeah really and sink it- into and the performance that Driver gives is just kind of a classic Adam Driver performance. He imbues so much physicality into yeah. the role. And this is one of his, I think, like least likable characters. Like from the jump, you already you never really connect with him, give him, you know, and he only gets more unlikable as the story progresses. Um yeah, him and Cotillard did most of the singing actually in in this film. Um and it's kind of cool to see driver do something like this like because he's actually a producer on this movie funny enough and you know at this point he's got uh three star wars checks in the bank account he's already worked with such a who's who of talented directors adding characters to the list at this point but he can just take these kind of swings if he wants to because why not and i love to see that obviously cotillard and carrick's working together makes sense they're both french um so yeah, I mean, just cool to see something outside the box because not a lot of stuff like this gets made, and perhaps Driver's contributions to the film helped get this made. And obviously, happy to see that happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, this is a weird thing. Did did you find yourself really like feeling for Annette as you know a doll in the story? Did you feel like that was effective? Eh. No, because I feel like a lot of stuff with Annette's like she's haunting yeah. Driver, haunting Henry with, with, with the singing of yep. his dead now dead wife. It's like, spoiler, sorry, but like, yeah, it's like Annette's like the side piece, right? Yeah. That's why I actually liked the beginning of the part of the movie first before Annette shows up. Just like the whole like the courtship of them and just kind of seeing everything and, and the songs are better in the beginning, so... Yeah, there's a lot to it, you know, and it's, sure. it's definitely something that some people will just completely dislike and be completely out on from the jump, and some people will just really love, but I'm I'm kind of in the middle on it. Yeah, uh, I think I find myself in the middle leaning towards liking it, but obviously not loving it. I think the, uh, the marionette puppet worked in the sense of sometimes the way, like, the shoulders slump, uh, just, like, naturally on a marionette doll, like... The scene after, uh, you know, spoilers uh, from, I guess, here on out, when um, Driver kills, uh, uh, what's his name? Simon Helberg's character, uh, the uh, arrangist, arrangements or whatever it is. 
uh, and he comes back and Annette had been awake and kind of knew the whole thing had gone on the way that her like shoulders and that marionette doll just kind of slumps I felt like like a really like a sense of like sadness for the doll which I thought was kind of strange but a lot of the other time I you're right it was just more of like a haunting type feel and uh I don't know if if that was exactly what Leo characters is going for I think so in terms of the hauntingness I don't know about the like um you know like empathy for a doll but then you you obviously have the switch at the very end when Annette is visiting her father in prison. Did you what did you think about that choice? It was cool to see like young Annette as an actor singing yeah. with Driver. I like that one. I agree. I thought that was a pretty good uh touch at the end. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, if you like movies and like weirdness, check it out. I think you and there's also the viral moment of Adam Driver singing while performing Conolingus. So maybe <laughs> that'll get you to watch it. Is, is that a viral moment? I haven't seen that. Oh, yeah. There was like a piece on the cut, piece on Vulture. Oh, it's boy. a whole thing. Obviously, it's like oh, viral in the God. sense that viral for people that have watched net. It's not. It's a blockbuster film or anything. Right, right. Oh, God. Yeah. Him on stage a lot of times is pretty just wild. So. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Dave, it's time to get to the the big one. Big one. Big one. Shang chi which, you know, he could have thought of a different name other than Sean. Really. Yeah. Feel a little more creative. But uh, Shang-Chi and the what, Legend of the Ten Rings, is that the official name? That's right. Not nine, not 11, but 10. Well, and, and the, what, the Ten Rings is a bit of a, a callback to some of the stuff in Iron Man 2 and 3. I think they're kind of Iron Man 3 in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Terrorist and, organization. Well, we'll get to that. There's a, there's a lot of uh, retconning and writing of wrongs on Marvel's yeah. part in this film and uh you know I, I think really the place to start with this is this is the uh Marvel's take on a Asian superhero and it's a primarily Asian cast you know I can't say fully Asian you have what, Ben Kingsley uh mm-hmm. and I think there might be one oh I guess you get like Ruffalo at yeah, certain points cameos. so that's yeah uh, the, but, oh, the guy with the blade arm is white yeah, yeah, he's uh, what's he in the movies like Roman? Sometimes he, I don't know, can't remember. Right. But something well, like it's, that. it's only the fourth Hollywood film since 1993 to have a predominantly Asian cast. We, of course, talked about this a few years back with Crazy Rich Asians, but it's continuing uh, that trend in terms of Asian representation, which is great. And I think on Marvel's part, it's also. Uh, important because of marvel's past history with uh asian culture asian themes you know remember dr strange the ancient one rather than cast perhaps a stereotypical old asian man character they decided to cast a white woman tilda swinton instead you know Mm -hmm. um you mentioned uh, iron man 3 the Mandarin, not actually the Mandarin, played by Ben Kingsley, an actor character, but kind of just a way to not even attempt something, right? Just oh, we know, you know, let's not do representation at all. Let's do something else, you know. Let's not even do it. Let's pick a, uh, you know, Aldrich Killian by Guy Pearce and have Kingsley, and you know, then in in everyone's mind, it's perhaps an Asian stereotype anyway. The unknown of it all, right? So, um, there's a lot of I think things are riding on this film coming into being on marvel's part and 
there's a lot of I think apprehension from Asian audiences, from Chinese audiences, about doing Shang-Chi correct, doing doing it well, because there's also a very racist history of the origin of this character on the comic side of things due to the uh, father figure of uh, the titular Shang-Chi, who was known as Fu Manchu, just a very racist, uh, tropey, yellow peril example that was unfortunately very common in the 70s and whatnot. So uh, thankfully, they largely avoided that by kind of retconning and composite charactering uh, the Mandarin villain character and Fu Manchu, Shang-Chi's father character into this new singular character played by Tony Lung. So I think for the most part, they did a really good job. And, you know, a few years ago, they may not have done as good, as good of a job, you know, but hats off to them. I think uh, they definitely come a long way, at least. Yeah, I, I think you said it well that uh, Tony Lung really being at the center of this, it, I think is the right place to start in doing it justice to a lot of because in a way this is supposed to be kind of a love letter to a lot of like hong kong style movies um and uh, you know i think maybe we'll get a little bit more into that but i think having someone who for those who aren't aware of tony Lung as a actor over in in china and and I think probably just for Asian films in general, he's kind of regarded as like the George Clooney mashed up with Brad Pitt of like yeah. his generation of actors over there. So he's, he's a big deal, you know? So getting yeah, him huge. to the star as the, the father in this, I think is a great place to start. This is actually his first Hollywood movie. That's crazy. Actually. Yeah. He had apparently been with a Western agent for like 16 years, but he had not done a Hollywood movie until now. Obviously most oh. famous for doing a lot of Wong Kar Wai movies. Um, such as the Grandmaster and uh, Chunking Express. Um, he also is one of the stars of Internal Affairs, which is what Scorsese's Departed is based off of. Um, yeah, just a complete you know screen legend uh, in Hong Kong cinema. And his his gravitas, his uh, just natural acting ability, just w- what he does with his eyes, like he, he just completely raises mm-hmm. the ceiling and the floor of Shang Chi and the Ten Rings. And steals the whole movie, honestly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think every, um, I think every scene that him and uh, sorry, I'm for, uh, Simon Liu or Simu Liu yeah. um, share in the movie is just like it, you can. It almost feels exactly like the kind of like actors that they are at the stage of their career because <laughs> Tony Liu is so powerful and confident in every scene and Simu Liu while I think he gave a pretty good performance feels like a bit timid and feels almost like a bit overmatched in some of the scenes with him and it's 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 noticeable for sure yeah it is it is <laughs> and, that, and that's the thing too is I, I would say Tony Long's uh, Wenwu slash Mandarin character uh one of the strongest Marvel villains because it's really more of an anti-hero character in the movie thematically is sort of focused on like his failures as a father and his desires to reunite with his love. And it's like, there's, there's, there's just so much, I think like true, like dramatic stakes that it's also executed on so well because Lung's such a great actor that you don't get that in most Marvel movies you know so this is i really love the movie and i just think his performance and 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 how his character 
is so central to the whole script is uh, kind of the key, the key, key thing with the film. Because, like you said, I think Simu Liu, great story. Him getting getting cast in this role, he tweeted uh, a joke about uh, people hating on, doubting the box office of the film, and it was a stock image featuring him because it used to be an actor in stock images. Obviously, he had a long road to gain to this point. Good for him, but he definitely, I think, doesn't quite have the dramatic chops for those yeah. scenes, right? And I think that's okay. Sitting in Bay, like, there's still a ceiling, a cap on a Marvel film when it comes to drama. Um, mm-hmm. And thankfully, Lou more than matches everything needed on the uh, physical side of things, the action side of things. That's great. But yeah, man, I was just so blown away by everything with with Lung's character. I think it's so good. Like, even yeah. though- Every, like his love right like we get that scene uh, one of the best scenes in the beginning of the movie right where he goes to uh the village talao right he's like so self-possessed with trying to get more power and he has nothing left to achieve and that's where he meets his soon-to-be love and it's one of the sexiest scenes in marvel which says something because mm-hmm. there's very little sensuality in the mcu it's very stale and, and sterile usually right it's always been a big criticism so they all they managed to actually convey that in a good way too, because again, like Tony Lung, all he has to do is look at you in a certain way, and like you get the feeling. Oh man, yeah, so good. No, I agree that that first scene where uh, they're you know it, what's that? It's Wuxia, right? Is how you pronounce it. The yeah, fighting yeah, style, like crouching tiger, hidden dragon, that kind of thing. exactly. Yeah, and the, the way that it's it's pretty much just like a dance between them as they're fighting and just like the way that they're looking at each other and it starts off very like confrontational and like they soften as they go, you know, and, and fight more is just really, uh, really well done. I feel like that whole like opening scene in that style is, or I guess opening montage explaining like the legend of the 10 rings and um, you know, as the story is being told to uh, little, uh, um, I actually, I don't, I don't know if it tells you who the story is being told to. Maybe it's you as a viewer. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, good but, point. Um, I think it's just really like a great opening, and I, I think the, I think the things that work really well for me in the movie, because I, I really like the movie too, but I definitely think there's some moments that fall flat, and some things that maybe didn't need to be included. Um, the things I, I think work really well the martial arts hand-to-hand combat in it is really awesome. That, that bus scene where the blade guy comes out for the first time and mm-hmm. he like fights with the jacket. Amazing. Like maybe one of the best choreographed fight scenes in the MCU to date. Um, I would say it's easily a top tier Marvel action set piece. A hundred percent. It's fantastic. I think a lot of the fight scenes, like I think about the one on the rafters too, as they're trying to escape the, Fight Club as a really memorable and well done choreographed fight scene as well. Um, I think when when you get into some of like the silly stuff, like Aquafina's character Katie, I think at times felt just kind of like roped in for comedic effects. Right. Same with like Especially Ben Kingsley's character, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Ben Kingsley's character. I mean, definitely got a lot of laughs, but also just felt like was he really necessary to the story in a lot of ways? I guess I wasn't sure about that. Um, but I think, I think what's at the heart of this as a family story, a father, son, father, daughter, uh, dealing with grief, uh, what it means to like move on and to like look up to a father, but also like 
take over that role in the family. I think all that stuff really works really well, but I think it just got bogged down by a little too many things here and there, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's got a Marvel ass act three, you know? True. Yeah. Like (laughs) I saw someone say that this movie would be even better if it costs half as much. And just because the best action is in the beginning when it's more hand to end, like you said, the bus set piece is incredible. That's where the revelation of uh, Shang-Chi's powers and, or his abilities. And, you know, he's like fighting people on the bus, right? And like he, he takes off his jacket, like catch someone very reminiscent of like a Jackie Chan action set piece, right? Like almost like a bit of physical comedy while fighting. Mm-hmm. But it just seems so, and so, uh, thoughtful and it's also really really well staged right like it's not a lot of like quick cutting and stuff and i think hats off to uh that's the daniel cretton who has not made an action movie before he made this um and i think like thematically story-wise everything still made sense throughout but i think it might have been stronger if tony lung wenwu wasn't killed by a soul-sucking demon of the deep like like it was i don't know like it made sense and like I, I like how at the end like he goes to full circle and he gives his son the rings he realizes how he fucked up in the end like it, it all tracked but maybe we didn't need this like long protracted fight against two cgi beasts you know yeah i mean then again we kind of get that kind of thing one way or another in every marvel movie regardless yeah so at least that it all made sense thematically and dramatically so i'm not too critical of it but yeah i mean the, the action's really really awesome you know and yeah you know and i, I actually liked aquafina as like the sidekick character just because i thought her and simu Liu had good chemistry really funny stuff mm-hmm. i thought in the beginning with the karaoke scene which is then called back yeah. at the end of the film really good also a nice nod to asian culture of which karaoke is very popular um mm-hmm. that's really good but you're right like her, her necessity as the sidekick kind of wanes once the story mm-hmm. gets more uh international so i hear that you know the ben kingsley character coming back uh reprising his role from iron man 3 i think has an important moment because he basically apologizes on behalf of marvel yeah. for he how does. the mandarin was previously treated in iron man mm-hmm. 3 and i think that was that was effective and his humor was still good but you're right it's just um they're kind of like, thrown in there down take it down a bit yeah you know, and uh yeah i i did like the uh ben kingsley moment when he's uh you know laying on the battlefield and morris <laughs> comes up to him and he's like it's a performance you know play dead with me or whatever he yeah says, great. shout out um, morris by the way voiced by deed bradley baker evidently hmm. the goat voice actor um and actually i like that when we finally get to uh tallow I, I thought the labyrinth yeah. uh maze of a uh, bamboo forest fighting back really cool mm-hmm. once you finally get there and you see all of, like these uh mystical creatures like the nine-tailed fox and a lot of like traditional yep. like, asian imagery and stuff but that was really cool um and then unfortunately like michelle yao comes up always happy to see her but she mm-hmm. has she's kind of like forced to do a ton of exposition yeah you know, like all her lines it, are just kind of explaining everything to uh yeah shang chi and uh his sister jelling so yeah, but still happy to see her. And um, yeah, I mean, once 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 Tony Long comes back again, like, and they start fighting and stuff. Oh man, uh, 
yeah do you did you have like like was there like a major set piece that you didn't like because i think like the, the major things like the bus the fight club the bamboo forest chase mm-hmm. even the final fight you know minus cgi i guess like i feel like everything worked everything looks good you know yeah you know i i think like you know it just isn't as interesting when you have like you said two big dragons as like the main centerpiece for mm-hmm. the finale of the fight um i i guess also just um it's it's I, just thinking about the whole concept of this like portal right and that that feels like something that's obviously going to be coming back in later marvel movies although um tang lo is kind of this like it seems like it's like a uh wakanda type uh place and it's probably going to yes, be that, like that kind of role right the sanctuary for the next mcu arc um i think it's just also it it feels with like everything that's been going on i know this is maybe not where we wanted to go with the conversation like it feels like they're just kind of like hearkening back to Mephisto and everything, you know, and they've been kind of dancing around it, dancing around it. We had Kang the Conqueror and um, the Loki thing. And I, like, if, if they're, if they're not actually going in the Mephisto direction, the fact that they just keep bringing up these like underworld type creatures as like the big villains. Um, I don't know. It just feels a bit whatever. Also, I think is also, uh, I, sorry, I keep saying also uh, when it, the big creature is, is just kind of like this like nameless villain type of thing that yeah. gets unleashed. It's also kind of hard for me to be like, eh, that that's a cool way to end the story. But right. uh, I, I think everything up to that was really, really great. Like in, for Marvel, I'm just trying to think like, when's the last time I liked a solo movie this much? I mean, maybe uh, Spider-Man Far From Home is up there but i think i like this more so oh definitely i think when i go back to this i mean this is the first like real origin story since captain marvel obviously this is a lot better than captain marvel yeah um and that's also what's so great about shang chi and the ten ring legend ten rings is because it's an origin story and it's about as self-contained as the mcu will let a movie be at this point right yes wong and abomination (laughs) show up briefly wong comes back a second time in the end post credit scene and as you're saying, the stuff about this underworld demon and they, they, they kind of nod to other realms, the multiverse, like there, there's a lot of like nods if you're listening to it. But for the most part, the movie completely functions as a self-contained thing. And when Marvel movies do that, um, it's usually for the better. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the post credit scene actually gives me a little bit of pause, right? Because they're like, oh, what's the origins of the of these rings? We don't know what they are. Cosmic of origin, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, it would be nice if the next shang chi movie is grounded again and they get to do more like hand-to-hand fighting and stuff like that you know i, I don't need shang chi going to space i don't yeah. need i don't need these aliens that perhaps crash landed and brought the rings to earth i, I don't need them coming back <laughs> let's let's keep it small but I, I don't know if they're gonna do that yeah it's kind of hard once he gets the rings to to not use them you know so <laughs> I, I think that that's one of the things i'm um, kind of sitting with right because when we talk about loki and it's kind of, it is kind of cool that we're talking about a marvel tv show as like a comparison to the movies but um we liked loki's finale because it was so unexpected it was just people in a room talking and i think 
uh, when you also think about the penultimate episode was a big CGI fuck fest. Correct. It, yes. it got to where Marvel has to go, it seems. But the stories just are going to get bigger and bigger. And when it's bigger and bigger, it's going to be more and more CGI. And I, I just wonder if there's a way for Marvel to back itself out of it at this point. It feels like it's just too far down the road. So. Yeah. I mean, we're how far removed are we from your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Yeah. You know? And actually, I was thinking about that in... in compare like why all the spider-man reboots is because that that origin reboot even though they just yada yada it with uh tom holland's peter parker is cool because he doesn't he's not super powerful yet you know it, mm-hmm. it is a smaller stakes superhero movie in a lot of ways a lot of times and um i i just don't know if marvel's ever gonna really give us that again this this felt like as close as it could get with you know him not having any real superpowers beyond being a amazing martial artist um until he got the rings obviously so uh i don't know still a really good marvel movie i'd say probably it probably would be in my top 10 for sure i had to think about the ring before i made my list tentative list which i feel like it's more instructive to make tiers for marvel movies there's 25 Mm -hmm. at this point you know Um, and i haven't rewatched all of them but i have this like top five ish like five i think um just because i think the floor is just so high because of all the scenes of tony one and the dramatic stuff in all the flashback scenes like i think very few marvel movies can like really like get to that point you know Mm -hmm. so i'm really high on it yeah i i gotta gotta think it's probably top 10 maybe top five potentially I'd, to, I'd really have to write it out but i'll definitely yeah, do that there's so many you know it's easy to forget stuff and movies and stuff but i tend to gravitate yeah. more towards the non big team up avengers movies yeah when they're done well oh. any last thoughts on uh, shang chi um you know they said um in the final stinger that uh the ten rings organization will return we now know that uh Shaoling, his sister, is running it. I wonder if that's setting her up to potentially be like a soft antagonist to mm-hmm. Shang-Chi in the future. On the other hand, maybe it's setting up a Disney Plus show. I guess that's also possible. Hmm. I mean, the, the reason we got Banner and Abomination in this is because they're both going to be in the She-Hulk show coming out next year. Kind of see, see see the lines being drawn. Um, but I, I like I liked Ling and and she was also just as competent as Shang-Chi as like a character mm-hmm. in the story. So I, I want to see more of her too. So An even better fighter. She kicked his ass in the ring. Uh, yeah, true. I think the, the fight club scene's so great, right? Like Ronnie Chang yeah. showing up, hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And and then like you get the Wong bit where, uh, yeah, I saw it. That was really good. Um, yeah, I guess I don't have too much more to say. I, I Pleasantly surprised, you know, it's, it's a, when, when a movie, I think Marvel's kind of done it again, right? A character that very few people have any attachment to, very far from an A-list Marvel character, right? Obviously, they famously mm-hmm. did this with Iron Man, you know, in yep. 2008, which was not an A-lister at the time. In the Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, Shang-Chi was not a super well-known and at the time was kind of just a Bruce Lee ripoff. And yeah. now it's it's a whole new thing, and that's awesome. Uh, man, uh, it's it's nice to feel this way about a Marvel movie again, because, um, you know, I, I think 
I'm not. I'm trying to think. What's the next one that they have coming out? Is it Spider Man again? Has uh, Eternals in November. Oh and right, Spider Man in December, and then Eternals. I'm excited too. for too. Yeah, these next four are, are are four good ones. So that's that's pretty cool. Also, we should note that um, Shang Chi completely blew by box office expectations. Seventy five point five for the three day weekend, which is uh, below Black Widow but above F nine, and then ninety four point four for the four day Labor Day holiday weekend, breaking the Labor Day record and having the biggest Monday of COVID box office to this point. So. That's really nice to see. You know, this was an exclusive theatrical release and people showed up for it. So we'll see uh, how subsequent weeks go, but cannot complain about the start. Absolutely not. We're going to wrap up there for this week. What should everybody be watching or listening to for next week? Yeah, so we got the Baby Keem album, as I mentioned yesterday. Mm-hmm. Also have uh, the start of American Crime Story Impeachment. So we'll always check in on that, see what that's like. Starting tonight. Yeah. Why the Last Man, FX on Hulu, uh, Monday slash Sunday, James Blake album, uh, Scenes from Marriage, the HBO miniseries is starting, Paul Schrader's The Card Counter is going to be in theaters. We'll also do our Ooh. Emmy predictions because the Emmys are showing up soon. So a lot of good stuff coming up. Always stuff. Follow us at NostalgiaPod on Twitter, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod and YouTube dot com slash nostalgia pod we'll see you next week yeah.